All right, we are in week two of our Divine Direction series, and I tell you what, all of us need direction in our life. We're always asking ourselves, we're always or should be always asking the Lord, what should I do with this? Where should I go? This is, this is a big decision in my life. Do I marry this girl? Do I say yes to this guy? Do I choose this job? Do I relocate my family? Do I choose this college? Do I not go to college? Do I do, do a vocational career? Lots of questions. Lots of big decisions in our lives. And, and sometimes we, I wish we had a GPS in our head that, that showed exactly where we, need, uh, where we need to go. Just like driving. And one of the things I shared last week is, is the, the big decisions. We, we like to focus on the big things. We like to make the big impact. We focus on those big decisions, but can I tell you something? Those big decisions are much more easily handled when you and I focus on the small, everyday choices in our life. When we're focusing in on the small, everyday choices in our lives, it makes those bigger decisions much easier to deal with. Because I've come to learn that it's the small choices that no one sees that result in the big impact everyone wants. You know, most of us struggle to connect the small choices we're constantly making with the big differences we want to see in our lives. We started off last week with the simple driving directions of starting and stopping. If you go on a trip, you're going to have a lot of starting and stopping. In fact, you can't begin a trip until you start a trip. So on this trip, some of you might be going on a trip this summer. You're going to be doing a lot of starting and stopping. And part of that trip is telling a story. You're going to come back with with pictures or post them on on social media. And you're going to tell a story. You can't have a story without a trip. And you can't have a trip without starting. Same with our life. Our life story. We can't tell the story that God is writing in our life unless we start. So starting and stopping. Well, there, there are probably people here today. And I know lots of people in our community and beyond that it's hard to start from where you are because you look back at your, at your mistakes and you say, man, I, I can't start from here. I've got to go back and fix some things. Let me tell you something. If you're driving on a trip and you get lost and then you, you, you find your way and say, okay, I'm, I think I can start from here. You start from there. You don't go back home. You don't go, ah, driving to out west. We made a wrong turn. We're somewhere around St. Louis. We're we're a little bit lost. We're just going to go back home and start over. That's, That's ludicrous. That's crazy. Why would you do that? Same way with our life. When when you have a life of wrong turns, you don't start all the way back from the beginning. You don't go try to fix your mistakes. You start from where you are. And that's okay. Because God can can redeem it. Just like the GPS voice on our phones. Okay? The GPS will help us and guide us on our way. So start from where you are. Also, when you're starting, do small decisions. If you're like me, you're like, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And you have a list of things. You're like, I'm going to go now. And then... Five days later, two weeks later, it's like, where did it all go? Because you're trying to do, you're trying to start too much. You're trying to start too much. And so just do one 
little thing at a time. It's the simple everyday decisions that will make the most impact. We also talked about stopping. You know, obviously there's some things in our life that we need to stop, maybe some, some things that are not righteous. Maybe there's some right, unrighteous actions that we need to be like, okay, I need to stop doing this, okay? But also, there's some things in your life that's not necessarily bad. They're just filling up your time and, and, and filling up your attention. And you're not able to make or, or to start the really important decisions, the small choices that would lead to the big impact, you're not able to start those things because you're so filled up with doing other things that's filling up your time and your focus and your energy. So you need to stop doing some things in order to start doing something else. And listen to the voices God's given you, just like the voice of the GPS in your phone, okay? You obey that, that voice. There are voices in your life and people that are speaking to you. So this week... Um, I, I'm going to focus on a question that, gosh, you, you probably have asked yourself this question. In fact, you're, you might be in a position right now in your life where you're asking this question right here. And again, it's a directional question. And the question is this, should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go? There's a great 80s song, should I stay or should I go now? Okay. And, and sometimes I'll sing that in my head because if I'm having to make a, make a decision. And so, and those, that question leads to a big decision. Should I stay or should I go is a question that's usually attached to a big decision in your life. And so what should we do through that? You know, I, as I was preparing this sermon, uh, it reminded me of a, um, a trip our family took a couple of summers ago to Colorado. I've shared a little bit about this, but as we drove from, from Cartersville to uh, Colorado Springs as a family across the country, we got to Kansas. I've been to Kansas, and I'm here to say there's nothing there. There's nothing there. You ever, you ever uh, ask your parents this, or maybe kids, maybe you, you've asked your parents this, or adults, you remember asking this question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, it, it, I've seen our children go from asking that question to go into what I call travel shock. Travel shock is they're done with the DVD player, they're done with the electronics, and all they're doing is they're putting their head on the window, they're staring out the window, they don't blink. They have a little saliva coming down their, their, you know, their mouth here. And they're just staring. Some, they, might, they might even slowly beat their head on the window just a little bit. And they're just staring out to nothingness, to Kansas, which looks like the surface of the moon. And they're in travel shock. And they're asking. Nobody's asking this question because they're afraid to ask. But it's a question that's roaming around in that eight-passenger vehicle where every seat is filled. And they're asking this question, why did we do this? Why did we do this? Why did we make this choice? Why did we make this choice? And, and wrestling with ourselves, and, and, and it'll test your staying power. Nothing will test the staying power of your family than driving through Kansas on a trip all the way to Colorado. Nothing will. And so it, we can attach that to our lives as well. You know, there, you might be in a job situation. You're like going, Oh, my 
should I stay or should I go? Why, why, am I, why am I here? Why am I doing this? You know, you might be in a relationship that maybe has gone south, and you're like, why, why, why am I here? What, what am I doing? Or you, you might have a, have a certain dream or goal that you try to start, maybe start a business or something, and it's just not going the way it's supposed to go, and you're going, what, what am I doing here? Should I stay or should I go? Should I take my chances to quit this job, look for something else? I wonder if this relationship has run its course. Could it be time for me to move on? It doesn't look like this business is ever gonna catch on. Maybe I should cut my losses before things get worse. Well, we all come to a fork in the road where we have to make the decision. Should I stay and should I go? So before you decide, you and I need to ask ourselves this question. Is staying the right or is leaving or saying, is it the right thing to do? Or is it easier just to get out? Like if you're trying to, if you're trying to decide whether to say or go, is it, is it because it's the right thing to do? Or is it just because it's easier to just go and walk away? I can tell you this, if our family decided around the middle of Kansas to turn back around and go back to Cartersville, we never would have experienced all that Colorado had to offer. We would never be able to tell the stories. We'd never get a picture of our family in July with a snowman. Like, full snow, snowman. Like, we didn't build it, somebody else built it, so we just borrowed the snowman, all right? And we took a picture, and literally, we're like, hey, this is a Christmas card, totally. And so we're, around, we're in the snowman pictures, and it's July, and we're like going, this blows our mind. Never would have experienced that if we didn't stay the course. Well, there's a story in the Bible, and we've talked, uh, some, uh, we spent some time in this story. It's a story of Ruth, the book of Ruth. Uh, if you have never read the book, it's a short book. It's a very inspiring book. We've, we spent a few weeks on it. Uh, Gosh, probably about a year ago or so uh, with Ruth. But I'm reminded on the story with, um, with Naomi. Now, Naomi was, uh, was a woman who, who uh, was married, and her and her husband had, had two sons. And, um, and there was a famine uh, around Bethlehem is where they, they lived. And, um, and so this is in the Old Testament time. This is before, uh, this is before Israel had a uh, had a king. This is in the judges' time, obviously way before Jesus came on the scene. And so they're living around Bethlehem, and there was a famine in the land. So um, they decided that they would move to the uh, country of Moab. Now, Moab uh, didn't have the famine, and they had other resources that they could depend upon. And so Moab was actually uh, it was a, a country filled of idolatry. It wasn't a God-fearing country, but at least their family would be safe. And so they went to Moab and uh, a tragedy struck as the father, the husband, um, died. And so the two sons married Moabite women. And uh, 10 years later, after the, the husband died, the father died, the two sons died. And so you are left with Naomi and Oprah, uh, or, not Oprah. <laughs> I always say Oprah. Orpah. That'd be a totally different story, right? Orpah. So Orpah and Ruth. 
So Orpah and Ruth were left with Naomi. And when you have ladies by themselves, no husband, um, it, you, you actually have to be, just become a slave. In that time, in, in, in culture, uh, women needed a, a, a husband, um, a, a, a male in their life to have a job because women wasn't able, they weren't able to work. and stuff. So you actually became a, a slave. You actually became a beggar. And so um, Naomi decided, you know, I'm going to leave Moab and I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And so she's traveling, and on their way, on their journey from Moab to Bethlehem, uh, she tells Orpah and Ruth, all right, ladies, it would be much easier for you to just, just go back to Moab. You're from there. You've got other family there. You can marry other Moabite men, and you can do lots of great things. You can start a new life. And uh, uh, Orpah said, you know what? I think you're right. Gave hugs. She was on her way back to Moab. Easy choice. It was an easy choice to make. But Ruth saw things differently. Even though it would have been much easier for her to go back to, to Moab, she chose instead to stick by her mother-in-law despite the uncertainty of the future. But Naomi tried to talk her out of it. We see this in the book of Ruth, in Ruth chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Naomi says this, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law, Orpah, is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, capital G, will be my God, capital G. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. What a powerful statement. Incredible statement by, by Ruth. To, to stay with Naomi. And so what happens is, Ruth uh, stays with Naomi, they go to Bethlehem, and they begin to do what beggars do. One of the things they do is they, they go in the field and they, they pick the leftovers from the harvesters. So the harvesters are people who own fields, they, they hire workers to harvest the field. So they, they harvest the grain, and they're going on. Well, there's some, there's some grain that's left over from the harvesters, and so they allow... Uh, the beggars to come and pick the leftovers to glean the leftovers of the grain. And so that's what Naomi and Ruth did. And so there was one particular gentleman named Boaz. And so Boaz owned this field and he recognized Ruth and had compassion on her and was interested in Ruth. And in fact, it got to the point to where you read the story. It's a, it's a great romantic story. And, and got to the point to where they actually got married. They had a son named Jesse who had a son named David who became the most uh, important king in the, in, of Israel. And obviously, uh, Jesus was ascended by, by David. And so you had that story play on out. But Boaz was interested in Ruth and what was happening because he heard of her story. He heard the story of what Ruth did and how she handled that situation. We see this in chapter 2 of Ruth. In verses 11 through 12, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland 
and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord and God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Wow, what a well-spoken gentleman. What a well, I mean, talking about a great pickup line. I mean, no wonder they got married. And so Boaz recognized what Ruth did. So what, what are some things, what are some things that we can glean from Ruth's story, what we just read that will help us in these big decisions of, uh, in the main decision of should I stay? Should I stay? Well, first of all, we see, and we see this in, in, in verse 16 uh, in, in, the, in chapter 1, where it talks about uh, she kept it positive. And we see this in verse 16. It says, uh, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. So she's basically telling Naomi, Ruth was, look, don't speak negative words into this decision. My decision to stay, I need, I need positive words. I need words of life. And so if you are in a situation where God, you feel like God is telling you to stay, but you're on this long trip, you're in Kansas in this situation, but you feel like you need to keep trekking on, you need positive words. Because let me tell you what, if our kids on that trip would have started saying, hey, what are we doing? Why are we on this trip? I don't want to go to Colorado anymore. You're kidnapping me. You know, all this. If they started saying all these things to us, I would have to shut it down and say, look, we need positive words. We're all in Kansas together. We all need to do this together. We need words of life. If you're in a situation, you need to keep positive words. You need to keep words positive. If you want to stay with your spouse, stop the griping. Stop griping about them. If you, if you know that it's God's plan for you to stay with your spouse, which it is, then you need to stop the griping. Stop the griping. If, you are, if you're in a job situation and you feel like, okay, the Lord is, is giving me this job, but I need to stick it out because he ain't moving me anywhere. I see no signs of that. You need to stop complaining about the drive complaining about the person in the cubicle next to you, complaining about the students that you teach, complaining about this and all this kind of stuff. Stop complaining. It'd make the trip much better. It would make the trip much better. That's what, that's what Ruth, that's what Ruth shared with Naomi. So you need to keep it positive. Second thing you need to do is you need to keep it spiritual. Ruth made this a spiritual decision because she said, your God will be my God. Don't just depend on the practical reasoning on whether you should stay the course, because in most cases, you're not going to find the practical. Don't just be looking for the practical reasoning. There will be practical decisions, and that's what Orpah did. Orpah said, hmm, new country, new language, not sure if the guys are good looking there or not. I've seen Moabite men, you know, I've got family. I'm going back to Moab. It's practical. I'm sure Ruth thought of those things as well, but she allowed the spiritual to overtake the practical, and she put the spiritual above the practical. And so you need to bring the spiritual aspect of that decision of, of whether you should stay. This will give you staying power when you decide that to bring in the spiritual. Because I know this, 
If God has called you to it, he will see you through it. If God has called you to it, then he will see you through it. And so you need to depend upon that. You need to allow God to, uh, to depend on his strength. Do you believe that God has called you to marry your spouse? If God has called you to it, then he will see you through it. Do you believe that God has called you to a certain company or career or vocation or job? Then if God has called you to it, then he will see you through it. Many of y'all know our, our uh, adoption story. And I, I know I've shared some examples of this and, and may have shared this story before, I'm sure. But I actually was able to, on the way to school one day this week, I was able to talk to Lawson, Marion, and Lincoln and share them with something that we've, we've never really sat down and shared with. They may have picked up on some things and maybe some conversations we've had with some people, but we've, I've never sat down and, and told them this story about their adoption. There's so many incredible, incredible stories. And as God was leading, uh, putting the seed of adoption in, in my heart and in Suzanne's heart, uh, Suzanne first, and then I, I sort of adopted that, and God was speaking to me as well. And, and so everything was going good. Our home study was going great, and uh, we got approved for, for adoption. We had our adoption department uh, uh, interview set, and so we went to, uh, to the capital of, of Ukraine in Kiev, and we were there. We only had an hour interview. We had people praying back here at the States during their interview because we went there to pick out one child. Yes, one. One child. A girl. Now, we didn't know who that girl was because you don't really know until you get there. You, that's why you have the adoption interview. Uh, you know, you, you sit there and flip through pages, almost like a photo album of pictures of children. And so you're, you're looking through that. And so we came across this picture of these three children. And we said, stop. Again, people are praying back at the States. It's in the middle of the night back here. And so we were, um, we told the lady to stop. And we said, take this picture out. So she took it out. She told us her names. You have Vladislav, Anastasia, and Maxime. Maxime looked like he was going to tear everything apart, just this picture, you know. You see in his eyes. He had, he had energy. Still does. <laughs> and so we said, all right, we want to we see them. And so we went down to the southern part of Ukraine, spent a little over an hour with them in the orphanage playground and on, that, on the grounds there. And we, we got asked a question that we were not ready for. We knew it was going to come, but it's like the orphanage director came to us and said, all right, are you ready to take them home with you? And we're like, oh. all three? Can you just leave them on the plate? We'll just come visit them. You know, we can kind of sort of adopt them. You know, maybe we can provide some, you know, some money for them. Or, you know, we'll just come back and visit, you know, maybe once a year I mean, we didn't say this, but this is going in my mind because we had three at home, and if we bring three, when the math is correct, we double our family. 
And so the practical was entering our head and our hearts and our minds. We were struggling with yes, because yes meant that we, we stayed there for six more weeks, we go through that, and we, we knew all that was going to happen. And so we knew that staying there was part of the process, but then we would have to bring three kids home. We would have to, you know, redo some things in our house. We had to create some extra rooms. We'd have to do all this stuff. And so it, it was something that we were like overwhelmed by. But if we said no, we could just go back home because it would start all over, game over. And we would start over, go back home, wait for an adoption interview to be set up again and come back and try again and look through probably the same photos. And so, but it was too overwhelming. We looked at the practical and we told the orphanage director, I'm sorry, but no. When I sat down to these three, to Lawson, Marion, and Lincoln, and told them that, Marion's like, you told us no? <laughs> um, so the orphanage director went back, to the, uh, went back to her office and made the phone call, was going to make the phone call to say, you know what? This Bennett family, they don't want these kids. And so all of a sudden, darkness um, was weighing upon us. Not only darkness, but heaviness, disappointment. God expressed his disapproval of the choice we made because it was a choice based on our abilities, not on God's abilities. And so we... Uh, we just started crying. Never felt the heaviness come over us like that. And so we, we got the orphanage director to come back. We told her, please, did you call? She said, no. She's like, well, we're going to take them. We're going to take them. Yes, we're going to take these three. We're going to take them all. Just bring the whole orphanage. You know, we'll, we'll take them all. You know, it was like God was just freeing us to say that. And what we have learned, it hasn't been, has it been hard, has it been difficult? Absolutely. Absolutely. But let me tell you this. When it's God's plan, it will be powered by God's hand. When it's God's plan, it will be powered by God's hand. The more God wants to use you, the more likely you'll be tempted to quit. But if it's God's plan, then it'll be powered by God's Hand. So you have, the, you have the question, should I stay? And you also have the question, should I go? Should I go? Um, one, of, one of the trips we went on, uh, I think it might have been the same trip, we had to stay in a hotel. It was actually a motel. We try to go as cheap as we can. And so for our family to stay in a motel, we're talking at least two hotel rooms. And so we, we try to save money. And so we, we kind of found this, ho this motel on our phone and we called them and we booked a room and we unloaded it and we got into the room. room we, when we walked into the room, and, and you can kind of tell as we're walking in the, in the motel area, we're like, all right, it's a little sketchy, but it's just for one night, right? I mean, how sketchy can it be? So we walked into the room and it smelled a lot like um, fish, I guess. Now, I didn't mind. I mean, I like fish, right? 
And, but mama was having nothing, nothing of that. I mean, it was, and there were some other reasons I just want to go into. And it was just awful, and we're like, we are not staying here. We are leaving. We are going. And so we end up finding another, um, another hotel, or, uh, motel situation that was better. But, you know, sometimes you just have to go. You know, sometimes you're in a situation, you just got to, something's, something's fishy here, and you have got to go, okay? But there's also another go that I want to uh, talk about, and that is found in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. In Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11, it talks about how Jesus called his disciples. And so it says this, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake Gennesaret, the, um, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And that, that is basically the Sea of Galilee, another word for, to say that. Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were wa- uh, washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, which is Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you've said so, we will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that even the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats to, um, to so full that they began to Sink, and the other partners were James and John. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. But he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So Jesus, Jesus called his first four disciples in that incident. And so Jesus is using the, this boat, which is obviously sitting kind of high on the water, to get elevated and is speaking to people and to put out a little bit so people can just stand on the shore and he could speak to them. But it wasn't just the words of Jesus that caused these four disciples to leave their career to go and do something else, to go and follow him. It was something that Jesus did. Actually, it was something that the disciples, these fishermen did, who weren't disciples yet. These fishermen, these fishermen did something, and the first thing they did was to go out in deeper water. Go out to deeper water. Um, if you feel like God is telling you to go, then you need to go deeper. If you feel like God is calling you to, to say missions or ministry, you need to go deeper, deeper in prayer, deeper in, 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 in what God's word is saying. You need to get people praying for you. You need to dive deeper. If you don't want your marriage to stay right where it's at, if you feel like God is calling you to go, not leave your marriage, you and your spouse together to, to go from where you are you could either stay, we're, we're just going to stay kind of where we are, we're, we're, we're kind of maintaining. 
But if you sense that there's something even greater for your marriage, that God, God wants to take you, God's saying, come follow me. And to take your marriage and to go together to a better destination, then you got to go deeper. You got to go deeper, maybe into, into counseling or with, uh, you, you got you to seek the Lord with other couples. You got to read certain, maybe some certain books together. You've got to, you've got to dive deeper into those things. If you, if you feel like you, you're, if you feel like you just need to not stay where you're at, but go. You need to go deeper. So, stop living the shallow life. Don't stay in shallow water. That's why Jesus said, I want you to go deeper because I got something to show you. I know you've been fishing all night. I get that. But I want to show you something. Cast your nets, and I've got a big load for you. God's showing you. Look, if you, if you just follow me, if you go, then I'm going to show you incredible things. We're going to go to destinations you never dreamed possible. The people that you know who are at destinations you want to be have gone deeper. Let me say that again. The people that you know who are at destinations you want to be have gone deeper. They've gone deeper. Maybe they've gone um, deeper into, into uh, their health. Maybe they've done some research, eating the, you know, the right things, you know, gone, done some exercise. Maybe they're helping with their health, or their, you know, your marriage, your finances, people who are giving, people who God is blessing. It's because they've gone deeper. They've reached deeper in their pockets and they said, Lord, it all belongs to you. I want to I be a generous person. Give me a, a generous heart, God, like you are generous by giving your own one and only son. I want to be just as generous if I possibly can. They've gone deeper. And there, God has taken them to incredible destinations. The second thing we see is in the story is the disciples trusted Jesus. They trusted Jesus. They, you know, Simon Peter was making all the excuses. Say, Jesus, I know you're an incredible teacher. We're out in this deeper water. I've obeyed you, and, and you're telling us to do something we just got through doing. We've been fishing all night. We want to go home. We're tired. Our nets are now drying. They're cleaned, and this is a big deal. But because you say so, I will trust you. You're going to make all kinds of excuses. Well, God is telling you to leave where you are to do something better. He's got something better for you to go, then you need to trust. You're going to, we are going to make all kinds of excuses. Can I tell you something? You can't go deeper without trusting in Jesus. You can't go deeper without trusting in Jesus. If you have not been placed in a situation where you need to trust God, then you are not in deeper water. You're not. If you're not in a place, if you've never been in a place where you have trust in God, or maybe you have, and you sense that deeper water that God has, has have you in, then, then you can sense, wow, I'm, I'm really trusting in God. 
God has taken me to, to destinations I never imagined, never thought I would go to. But if you're not trusting in God, if you're not at a place where you're having to lean upon him and trust in him, then you're not in deeper water. If you've ever told yourself, I can't stay where I'm at. I cannot stay where I'm at. I'm tired of this just maintaining. I've got to go somewhere with this. I've got to go somewhere with this. And so there's trust. There's trust in that. So you may be asking this question. How do I know when I should stay or when I should go? And I, I'm, I'm kind of closing this with, with this with this statement here. How do I know when I should stay or when I should go? That's a great question. And I have the answer. Are you ready? Here's the answer. The answer you've been waiting for. Should I stay or should I go? How do I know if I should stay or I should go? Here it is. You will know when it's time to stay or go when it's not your idea. You will know when it's time to stay or when it's time to go when it's not your idea. Because God will show you. God will speak to you. People will tell you things. God will speak through the word, your word, his word, and as you take time with him. He will speak through prayer. He will speak through other people. Circumstances will happen in God's providence and great plan for your life. God will drop hints through other people as they share things like, have you ever thought about doing this? Or you're really good at such and such. You should do that for a living. Hey, have you ever met so-and-so? I think y'all would really get along well. It's never your idea. You may, I mean, if it is your idea, if it all came from you, and you're like, man, I, I want this, so I'm going to do this. I mean, I would question if you should stay or if you should go. Like if you're in a marriage situation, things are going south, and you're thinking, man, there's, there's somebody else that I know that I can, I can really be with. So I'm just, I mean, that's all you, bro. God's not putting that in your head. He's not. He's not putting that in your head. That's all you. And I wouldn't go if I were you. Just using it as, as an example. So how, how do you know when God is speaking to you and it's not your own random thoughts? Here's how. If you're walking close to God and have an active, talking relationship with Jesus, then it's the voice of God. But let me share this with you. This is the, I want you to understand this statement I'm about to make. But don't you dare make a major life decision when you are not walking with God. Don't you dare make a major life decision if you are not walking with God. Because if you're walking with God, he's going to speak to you and he's going to show you. But if you're not walking with God, it's a very good possibility that that is all you. Don't propose to that girl if you're not walking with God. Don't enroll in that college or choose that career if you're not walking with God. 
Don't relocate your family if you're not walking with God. And by experience, don't double your family through adoption if you're not walking with God. And please don't ever start a church if you are not walking with God. There's some major decisions up ahead. Some of you are asking this question, man, do I leave, do I stay, or do I go? Walk with God. Walk with God. Ask him, and he will show you. He will show you that. And guess what? He wants to show you because he has a GPS already in his hand, and he wants to speak to you.